Yeah, Petra, a guest joining us right now. His name is Mark James. What does Mark do, Cheryl? Uh, Mark James is uh, the business manager for Mavlab, and he's quite an expert in health. Okay, and he joins us now. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Mark. Hi, Mark. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. I'd like to talk to you a little bit today about arthritis in pets. Yeah, that's a topical subject with the ageing pet. That's right. How prevalent is arthritis in our pets? Uh, I suppose, Cheryl, you know, our much-loved pets do sadly suffer many afflictions that we humans are also prone to. And um, arthritis or degenerative joint disease is one of these. Uh, All dogs, they tend to age differently too, just like us, depending on factors such as their size, breed, genetics, and as a general rule, larger breeds begin to show signs of old age, including arthritis, before smaller breeds do, as the lifespan's generally shorter. Um, bigger breeds like Great Danes, Irish Wolfhounds, or, or, or standard poodles, as you would know, Cheryl, um, <laughs> That's right. they tend to have a shortish life expectancy of you know, seven to eight years, whereas Smaller breeds like Jack Russell Terriers, miniature poodles live on average for 14, 15 years or longer. Um, and arthro- you know, arthritis is fairly common in dogs, and it's usually a result of ongoing wear and tear and instability of their joints. Although other factors such as injury and genetic makeup, infection, immune disease, cancer, they can also affect the progression of the disease. And there are a few things we can do to help them, Mark, but there's a question out there. What is a nutraceutical and how do they play a role in animal health well-being? A, a nutraceutical is a, a food. It's a, it's, a, it's a pretty unknown term. Um, it's a food or a food component that claims to have health benefits, including treatment and prevention of disease. And I suppose another way of describing a nutraceutical is probably to call it something like a, a functional food, um, nutraceuticals commonly used in human and animal health regimes in the modern world and can have an effect on health and longevity. Um, our Perna East joint powder is classified as a nutraceutical, primarily used for its functionality in helping to assist with arthritis pain in dogs. But the three main marine-based ingredients that make up this Perna East powder also have minor trace nutritional value. Yeah, because a lot of people use glucocamine and things like that to, and, um, you know, fish oils and things to help with their conditions. So how, what can a nutraceutical assist? How can it assist your pet? Yeah, look, in what you said right, Cheryl, too, I mean, we often use products for the benefit of our own health. And as a company where we are based in animal health, we quite often use active ingredients or components like in the nutraceuticals for treatment of problems in our in our best friends as well, you know, our pets. So it's not uncommon for to have uh, a same active ingredient that may be used to treat something like epilepsy in humans used in, in animal health as well, uh, which is something that we do. But nutraceuticals, they, they can help with the pain associated with arthritis in this instance um, as either a standalone supplement or in conjunction with other treatment types that, that your vet may prescribe. Um, registered nutraceutical products can be sourced from both your vet or good pet retail outlets um, with the great advice that goes along with that. Um, Usually given to your pet in their food each day, they're easy to give um, and easily integrated into your daily routine. Can these be expensive, Mark? 
Well, I suppose pet ownership itself, having being a, an owner of a small unofficial zoo uh, myself, uh, I can attest to cost and care, and, and we always want to give the best care, but be prudent with what it costs, because you do want to be able to say, I, I, I need to progress with this treatment or care for my pet. You don't want to be scrimping. Uh, we tend in Australia to be great carers for our pets on part of anywhere else in the world. But, you know, pet ownership costs can vary depending on the size of your pet and the cost of ongoing supplementation. Medication can be dependent, going back to what we talked about originally, about the body weight, the size of your pet too. You know, good quality assistance for dogs in the way of nutraceuticals can cost somewhere between maybe 20 and 70 cents a day, depending on, on that body weight and, and the price paid for the, 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 the nutraceutical assistance. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 When, when should we start looking to use a nutraceutical to help our pet's arthritic conditions? It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a variable that sort of, we sort of take the guideline that, you know, let the signs be seen. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, you know, all dogs age at varying rates depending on breed size and other environmental influences. Um, in general terms, the same can be said about the timing of the appearance of the symptoms of arthritis. Um, one thing that animals do well is hide pain that they might be dealing with. So, you know, quite often signs of arthritis can be passed over in our day-to-day -day relationship with our pets. Um, it's, it's probably important to have your vet do a full check yes. if you are at all unsure of your pet's well-being in this instance or anything. Um, nutraceuticals can be used in dogs and cats of pretty much any age, but best of the time you start to see one or more of the signs of discomfort that a pet may be experiencing. And I suppose the bottom line is arthritis, joint inflammation and degeneration are all personal. And because they are so many, well, there are so many variables associated with joint degeneration, uh, both on a microscopic and macroscopic level, that each case needs to be evaluated individually. Every dog responds uniquely to discomfort and pain in their life. Yeah. Well, Mark, it's a most interesting topic. I really uh, thank you for sharing your knowledge today because obviously arthritis affects a lot of our pets and uh, thank you for joining us. My pleasure, Cheryl, and thank you. Thank you. I'd like to continue on with a question I had for our vet, Dr. <laughs> David Tabret. Couldn't answer me. Didn't know how to answer it. He said, this is the one for Kimberly. Kimberly knows this one. Give so the question is about snakes because it's hot. They're out and about. Yep. Things I just don't know about them. Now, do they all lay eggs? Is that how the snakes are, are born? Mm. Um, well, I'm. Oh, now you don't quote me on this. I'm pretty sure that most of the Australian snakes are egg layers. So they are called oviparous snakes, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. there are some species of snakes that are viviparous, which means that they give birth to live young. They still form in an egg, but the egg, they sort of hatch out of the egg in, um, in utero and the egg is resorbed and the mother gives birth to a live-born snake. So in North America, um, the whole sort of family of garter snakes in North America, they're all viviparous snakes. Um, and so they always deliver live babies, whereas I'm pretty what sure... What about our browns and our blacks? Well, I don't know 100%. No, I think most of them, I think, are egg layers, but mm. I'm not 100% sure. You'd have to probably talk to a herpetologist because... We don't tend to see a lot yeah. of the nests of eggs and things like that. So, mm. what would the gestation period there be for a snake? Uh, it's going to depend quite a lot on the on the species and the variety. So, mm. um, gee, off the top of my head, mm, I wouldn't know. It's probably going to be a couple months, though. You know, sort of in the in the neighborhood of a couple months. And would um, they have many babies? 
quite often, yeah, you probably look at, um, well, if I go back to my own childhood with the, the garter snakes, as a kid, before I knew a better harvested, or, you know, captured a, a garter snake in the pool house of my grandparents' place and put it in a little margarine container and flew it home to my, my hometown. And um, about six weeks later, that snake had um, some live babies. So there was 12 live babies in that time. Um, but yeah, it wouldn't be uncommon to have, you know, sort of um, a dozen, um, maybe maybe a dozen and a half, you know, sort of babies out of one snake, yeah. Mm. And would they have a nest, nest or an area that they... Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. They, they form as a nest or something? Well, they, they sort of um, usually dig them under, like when they're laying eggs, they bury them underground. So mm. they sort of dig a little nest hole, lay them, and then sort of cover them over because they need that warmth of the fermenting ground mm. to keep them all um, nice and humid and, and warm. See, that is great. See, I couldn't get that answer from mm. Dr. David Tapp. Yeah, I don't have all the details, no. and I don't know all the specifics, particularly with the Australians, but yeah. Well, look, that's my question, so let's move <laughs> on to people who have good questions. Joining us now from Brankston. G'day, Merv. How are you? I'm still in line, brother. No worries. You're, you're with me now. What would you like to ask our vet, Merv? Hi, Merv. Um, We're live at the moment. So what's going on with your little Staffy? Uh, we had to give her. We had to surrender. Okay, because, so it says you have a question. she was getting stolen, and oh. um, there, there had been, like, we went down the pet shop and we inquired, and he, he just depicted a lot of, lot, of, lot of dogs were getting stolen. For, and we used to tie, like, tie a rope to the tree, and she loved it. I thought she was going to pull it down and smash yeah. it into the house did, one day. Okay, did you have a question about her arthritis or something here? Um, no, well, I'm just wondering, like, because um, she was in a small yard and she didn't have much space to run around. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, like, whether she would have outstretched the tendons and, like, all her muscles. Is that a possibility? But, but we fed her. We just, we're meticulous. We, we loved our little dog and we had to surrender her. Okay. So I mean, usually, yeah, I mean, usually, um, you know, being in a small yard, as long as they're getting lots of walks and things like that, isn't likely to cause much problem in terms of arthritis or or ligament damage. We most likely see ligament damage when dogs overexert themselves, so um, mad keen ball chasers and things like that. So not, yeah, not entirely sure what was going on with your little your little one there. But sorry to hear you've had to um had to give her up. But I'm sure she'll find a lovely forever home. Let's make our way to Curry Curry. We've got Barry waiting there. How are you today, Barry? I'm pretty good, thank you, sir. Are these snakes? Yeah. Between 8 and 12 weeks is the maximum for having babies. Yeah. Okay. Yes. And uh, most of the live ones come from the most poisonous ones. Okay. So are some of the Aussie um, species, are some of the Aussie species viviparous? Yes. A lot of the Aussie ones are like the king brown. Yep. And uh, the, the copperhead carpet snake. Yep. All live ones. Okay, there the you go. Of, uh, 90% of the rest of them are all eggs. Are eggs, yeah. Okay. Thank you, okay, Barry, no, for no. filling in some of those gaps for me. Thank you. Not a problem, sweet one. Okay. Good on you, Barry. There you go. We found the answer out. How good is that? Yeah. I knew somebody would, would be able to help us out, yeah. so that is great. And, Kimberly, today your topic is puppy preschool. Tell us a little more about this. Puppy preschool. So what is puppy preschool? Puppy preschool is where... Um, we encourage all dog, all dog owners, sorry, who have a new puppy to bring them along to puppy preschool. So most vet hospitals will host puppy preschool. Some other, um, there's other dog trainings, other facilities. I think um, yep. Cheryl's, Cheryl's business does puppy preschools. 
Puppy Preschool is really a way for um, you as a new pet owner to keep up to date with what's sort of current in terms of um, training methods, training theories, um, what's normal for your puppy. You'll often learn a little bit about your puppy's breed, although hopefully you've researched it beforehand because uh, we do find lots of people get quite a surprise when they show up to puppy preschool and we say, so your breed is this, and guess what kind of so your dog you have? is it going to take a little longer? Is there some puppies that you go, oh, he's going to be a little longer to learn because he's uh, a bit dumber? Yeah, or? sometimes. So, so I mean, the other real benefit of puppy preschool, because we get a lot of people who say, well, I've raised lots of puppies before. I have another dog at home. But um, it's really important for puppies during their um, critical socialization period, which is really 8 to 12 weeks of age, 8 to 16 weeks of age, sorry. Um, it's really important for them to interact with dogs that are unfamiliar dogs, so not dogs that they're living with in the home. And, in, and interacting with them on neutral territory, so not in and amongst their home, you know, sort of base. And and if anything, that's one of the really critical things is that puppies need to interact with other puppies of similar ages, but different breeds, different sizes, different temperaments that they're not seeing on a day-to-day -day basis. So these are dogs that are not part of their pack, and they really learn a lot about how to behave in the world Um from, from coming to puppy preschool. So I would encourage anybody, even if you have other dogs at home or you have other puppies or you, um, you know, you've raised dogs before, it's really valuable for your dog. And we see it so often that puppies that come to puppy preschool are way better socialized. Their manners are better. They know how to interact. When they come into a vet hospital, they're, they're not fearful. Um, they're not timid about, you know, going into new places and walking through doors and experiencing different things that they might not have um, experienced before. So it's really, really key, not just for you as a pet owner, um, but also, you know, for the puppy. And if you think about it, I mean, these dogs often live, um, you know, sort of 12 to 15 years of age. And if you haven't had a puppy for 15 years, um, a lot of things can change and you'll mm. forget a lot of things. And so it's really helpful to come along and just say, my puppy's doing this. Is that normal? And just to get some reassurance that, yes, it is. Or you know, for, for somebody to say, no, actually, that's not really normal. You should have that checked out by your vet or we really need to get onto this behavior now early before it becomes a problem behavior. And this is what we currently think of as being the, the most up-to-date sort of training methods. I imagine with puppy training, it's not all on the puppy too. So if you do it once a week, mm -hmm. is it there's, uh, there's training and, and skills that you're taught that you should then Absolutely. go home and the Homework. owner should practice those for Absolutely. the week so rather our, than not doing it and just yeah. turning up and understanding why it's not picking up on it? Absolutely. So our puppy educators are usually our, um, our nurses, and they're usually um, fully qualified nurses, um, and they will give you homework each week. So um, I think I've usually heard, the, heard them say on week one, you know, the, the task is um, for yourself to go home and research a little bit about your, your dog's breed and tell us all about it, because different breeds are very different personality-wise and what they require and what kind of um, things you might come across. And then often there's a bit of homework. So this week your job might be to work on um, sit with your puppy or stay with your puppy or come, um, maybe getting them to roll over, um, trying to get them, in, in some cases, not all puppies are going to be at the same stage. So if you have a puppy who's 16 weeks old in a puppy class and a puppy who's um, eight or nine weeks of age, developmentally they're going to be at very different stages. So we have to cater a little bit to the individual puppy and what they're ready for. Um, but yeah, the the um, the teachers, the educators can help work that you know work your way through that. So, um, puppy preschools usually take the form of um, you know one session a week for somewhere between four and five weeks, and they're usually an hour to an hour and a half long sessions depending on the um, the place that you get them from. They're really designed for 
young puppies in this critical socialization period. So our preference is to see puppies between 10 and 16 weeks of age and occasionally we'll take them a bit younger um, and sometimes we'll take them a little bit older. Although if you're starting to get into, um, you know, 18 and 20 week old puppies, they won't mix in the same way with a younger sort of puppy. And so we really are trying to catch them between that um, 8 to uh, 16 week old, you know, sort of window of, of time. Sorry. All right, I thought yeah. we'll take a break. We'll come sure. back and talk more about puppy preschool. There's more we can find out about that. But we're going to the phones right now. Joining us from Y is John. Good afternoon, John. Good afternoon. Hi, what can we help you with with your little dog? Um, I've got a four-year-old Maltese. Yes. The uh, white, uh, pure white with caramel chewy. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a mobile groomer came uh, about four weeks ago. Sure. And groomed him and, you know, she was... Didn't do a really good job on him. Okay. And especially around the head part, his ears and stuff like that. Anyway, I was telling my neighbour, you know, and I said, I'm not happy with it. Anyway, she, I had to go out one day and she babysat him for me. Okay. And when I came home, the length of the hair on his ear, yeah. she snipped it around, probably around about two mil from the, the gristly part. Okay. On the length. On the length. Yeah. I'm just wondering whether that hair will grow back. Yeah, sure it will. Yep, any any hair any hair will grow back. That's not a problem. I mean, de- depending on the groomer, quite often um, groomers will trim the hair around the ears depending on the breed and how matted they are and things like that. But um, it, there should be no reason it doesn't grow back. Um, there are some, you know, endocrine medical conditions that can cause um, hair to not grow back. But in a four-year-old dog, that would be unlikely. So, yeah. Yep. Air, you know, on his ear, probably about seventy-five mil long, and mm-hmm. now you know it's it's just short. Yeah, no, it'll grow back. That's that's not a problem. I mean, the ears and around the ears and face is often a an area where dogs tend to get quite matted and things. So, um, no yeah. problem with that. Yeah. Okay, then. Thank you very much. We've got Anne joining us from Lake Munmora. Hello, Anne. How are you doing? Good, thank you. Our vet, uh, Dr. Kimberly Earls, listening to you right now. Hello. Hello. Um, look, I'm just thinking about my dog. Um, he's about six years old and he's been um, perfectly well trained as far as toilet goes. Um, but suddenly now he's decided that he's an inside dog, he lives inside. Um, but suddenly now he's decided that at night time he's going to cock his leg in the kitchen or wherever. Okay. So, and we've done everything. I can't think of another thing we can do. We've okay. tried everything to, to get him to go outside. Yeah. So is he not re- not wanting to go outside or you're taking no, him outside? No, he won't. He, he, well, we're asleep when he does it. Okay, so, yep. Okay. Uh, um, but he goes outside through the day. Yep. We've got a We've got a doggy door. Right, okay. And he can go in and out. Okay. Uh, but we did get another dog, mm-hmm. and the other dog prefers to be outside. He okay. now seems to have been he's a rescue rescue dog, and he seems to prefer to be outside. So he's outside, and the black one's inside. Jackson's mm-hmm. inside. Okay. So, um, I mean, the the big issue is that we have a dog who doesn't appear to have a, a particular reason for doing it. If he's just doing it overnight, there's not likely to be a medical yeah. cause for he knows it. What to, he knows what to yeah. do. He's been doing it beautifully yeah. for years. So he's either, he's either avoiding going outside, so there's something outside of a night that he's... Um, 
he's avoiding. So it may be that the other dog is outside and he's not wanting to go outside. Uh, maybe the other dog is, you know, sleeping on a bed somewhere and he gets cranky when um, when the inside dog wants to go outside to the toilet. There might be that there's some noises outside that are making him anxious. Um, the big issue is that, you know, he's getting access to um, the kitchen or, or whatever it is. So really what we need to do is take him back to um, sort of puppy puppy training a little bit and we need to put him in a spot, um, enclose him or contain him in a, um, in a crate or a kennel or a small room that he uh, doesn't have free room of the, room of the house so that he can't practice that um, bad behavior that we don't want. I'd, I'd probably get him a nice comfortable crate, something that's big enough that he can um, stand up, turn around, lie down, stretch out in, but not big enough that he can walk to the other side and feel like he's toileting away from his bed. Um, and we probably need to go back to treating him like a bit of a puppy and say, you don't get, you know, there's no reason um, for you doing this. You don't get the privilege of being loose in the house until he's, you know, learned that, that he has to go outside. An, an older dog, like a six-year-old dog, he's not old, but there's no reason that he should need to go to the toilet in the middle of the night. So if he's getting out to the toilet somewhere between 10 and 11 o'clock at night before you head off to bed or maybe even 9.30, um, getting out doing his business outside, there's no reason he shouldn't be able to make it through all the way um, till 7 or 8 o'clock the next morning. So um, if he's not able to do that, then, you know, might not hurt to have him checked out just for a, um, an occult urinary tract infection, although it's much more uh, rare in a male dog. Um, but there's no reason he shouldn't be able to hold his bladder. So he shouldn't need to get up through the night um, and and toilet. So I would, um, you know, go back to crate training or, or basic training and not give him the opportunity to make those mistakes and practice that behavior. 49216216 is the phone number. If you'd like to call through, you'll get through straight away to talk to our vet, Dr. Kimberly Earl. Uh, for dogs that are house dogs during the day, mm -hmm. can it be a stressful time for them going out at nighttime in the dark? Can that be stressful or not? Um, it, it's always a possibility, you know, if you if you stand outside of, of an evening, um, often you're going to hear dogs barking in faraway neighborhoods and things like that. Because a lot comes alive at nighttime. Sure, that yeah. It doesn't happen at the day. Yep, that's right. And so there certainly can be. Um, sometimes dogs, as they're getting a bit older, their vision in, in low light isn't as good. So I know lots of dogs will prefer, they don't want to go off the, you know, if you've got a back porch, they don't want to go off the veranda or the porch um, in the low light because their vision's not as good anymore and they can't see and they're worried about tripping down the steps. And so they'd prefer just not to do it and they'll avoid that. So there are certainly things that can cause them to have behavioral changes like that and it's always worthwhile having a look at the environment and you know having a think about it from the dog standpoint going out late at night and just quietly listening because it might be that you know three blocks down the road and up the valley there's a really noisy mean dog who's barking and you can't hear it very well but your dog's hearing is a lot more sensitive than yours and so that might be enough to be putting them off yeah should there be a point in the afternoon where you decide no more water or no more drink for the dog uh, mm, or no, should as you usually. say the bladder hold till the early hours of the morning or yeah i mean most normal dogs shouldn't have a problem um, holding their bladders for 10 to 12 hours overnight. There shouldn't be a reason. So um, different if your dog has a, a condition where they're drinking a lot of water, so um, Cushing's disease or diabetes, if they're drinking a lot more water than usual, then they may not be able to. Um, some dogs will certainly develop incontinence, but it doesn't sound like this dog's incontinent. It sounds like he's, mm. he's consciously voiding. So Now we go back to the phone. Ricky joins us from Camden. Hi, Ricky. Hi, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Hi, what can we help you? you with? Hi, yes. We've got a Dachshund who we've had, well, so we, it's my daughter's Dachshund, mm -hmm. she lives with us. Um, he's now a year old. Okay. He is, he is an incessant barking machine. <laughs> um, he, <laughs> and uh, so I'm wondering, A, do Dachshunds grow out of this? 
Um, and but they also, when people come in, he yep. will sit and he will bark and he will try and nip their heels, mm-hmm. not really aggressively, for about 10 minutes. And then he'll come up and lick them and he's very, yep. very cute after that. Yeah, OK. Is this a trait of dash hounds or uh, is this something that we can control? Yeah, no, listen, it, it certainly can be a trait of Dachshunds. They're, they're, they're definitely known for being um, a bit yappy um, and they certainly can be a bit bitey. So, um, I mean, the, the, the nipping issue, certainly what I would always say is, um, you know, we've got to protect your guests and things like that. So try to get the dog away from the door or have them enclosed away from the door because it's usually a lot of excitement and they're just getting overexcited or they're getting a little bit protective. Um, they don't know who's coming. So trying to keep them away from the door and, and um, until everything sort of settles down and then when things and they are a bit calmer maybe let them out um you know to sort of have a bit of a sniff when they're not so worked up um so that hopefully you're not getting your your guests bitten the barking issue um yep we certainly see it uh, often it's triggered by other things going on sometimes it's excited barking sometimes it's nervous barking um the best thing we can do uh you, you may need to speak to your local vet about it but um you know working with a lot of training seeing if you get them um barking on command sometimes if you can if you can turn it on you can often turn it off um making sure that the dog's getting plenty of exercise that there's not really any underlying um sort of stressors there so it's a fairly complicated problem remembering that dogs barking is a natural behavior it's normal it might be unfavorable to us but it is a normal behavior so um, you know, you may need to just keep that in the back of your mind, but definitely work with a local um, vet or behaviourist or something like that if it's becoming a problem for you. Thank you, Ricky. Our last call of the day right now, Gail joins us. And uh, an issue with fleas, is it, Gail? Yes, it is. Go ahead. Tell me what's going on. Well, I've got a, I've got a four-year-old Staffy, and I have tried everything on the market mm-hmm. to try and get fleas off her, and she's biting her tail because, yep. of course, she's uncomfortable sure. and she's unhappy. Okay. And I was just wondering if you could suggest anything that I could try. I've tried yep. all the washers. Okay. I've tried yep. the yard. I've tried everything. Okay, so so the the important part, Gail, because we're, we're pretty short on time. So the important thing is that your dog needs to be on a systemic product, okay? Using a washer or a topical is not likely to cut it. You want to have them on a systemic product. So probably something, there's some really good new products available from your vets um, and from good pet shops. Um, something that's a tablet that's going to last for a month to, th- to three months. Um, you always, if you have a flea problem, it always takes a minimum of four to six months with exquisite vet um, or exquisite control to try to get that under control because of the eggs that are in the environment. And if your dog is biting at her tail, it probably means she has a flea allergy. So you really need to seek some really good advice and get on one of the really, really good top products and be persistent. You're gonna, it's going to take time. Nothing is instant, Okay. Thank you for that, Gail. Thanks for your call. Thanks so much today to our vet, Dr. Kimberly Earle. You're welcome. And Cheryl, Cheryl Shaw, thank you so much. Kimberly, I think the last time for you this year. Thank you for all your help this year. I should be back in 2017. We will look forward to that. You take care. Next week, we're back with Pet Chat from midday here at 2NURFM. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.